0: Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Jen Marr. She is the CEO of Inspiring Comfort and author of the books "Pause to Comfort." To her, strangers are just friends that haven't just haven't met yet. This natural gift has led her, Jen, to actually take a vocation in crisis response, healing, and comfort, which has impacted lives of thousands of people across the United States. A little bit more about Jen: she is a she has notable workplaces and schools and mental health organizations that advocate her, which is the Comfort Skills Programming. And Georgetown University, Northeastern University, Holy Cross University, the Mental Health Association of New York State, the New York State of Health Mental Health, and the American Association of Suicide Prevention, which is very fitting for the time that we are doing this recording in September. Um, so, Jen, you know, thanks for being on the show. First of all, how are you?
1: Great, Sean. Always good to be with you.
0: Yes, and for everybody, we had a little snafu last time with recording, so we had to redo this, and it was actually very synchronous. Um, Serendipity, whatever you want to talk, you know, mention about it that, you know, September Suicide Prevention Month, talking about mental health being very much a big thing. And so just kind of starting off the bat, you know, kind of your journey, your kind of origin story, I would say, why did you start Inspiring Comfort, and what is comfort and how is it different from Empathy and Kindness?
1: Oh, Sean, that's just such a great question, the difference between empathy and kindness, and we're going to get to that. But why did I start this? Um, This was never on my life's plan. Um, uh, My career was in international business development. Um, I traveled the world. I was taking time off to raise my three daughters um, in Connecticut when I was close by the Sandy Hook Elementary tragic shooting. And Again, you might say serendipitously found myself leading a team of um, comfort dogs that went into this school every week. Um, I was in the school for five years. I was there just to support and help the community recover and because of that highly visible tragedy um, found that we were asked to go to deployments all over weekly deployments all throughout Western Connecticut and Westchester. Putnam County New York. So it was kind of a deep dive into human suffering. And it was a really interesting thing because I walked in initially with a dog. So I didn't have to talk. I just kind of observed. It's almost like being a fly on the wall with watching how people react to crisis. And a couple of things stuck out at me. Um, first of all, people need to be together. Um, they have this deep, deep desire to be together. Um, but nobody knows what to do when they're together. They don't know what to say. Um, So having a dog there was this beautiful bridge that people could be together without having to say anything. And it made me realize just being this fly on the wall that after the dogs left, people were really woefully underqualified to know how to support each other. And the more I looked into it, I mean, if you just look at our societal changes, it started to really become increasingly evident that. You know, our entire way that we communicate and interact with each other now is different than ever throughout human history because of the advent of screens. And people are just awkward. Um, you know, there's, there's data out there that seven out of ten of our youth would prefer just to talk screen to screen. So being face to face with someone is awkward enough already in good times. Um, when you put someone struggling in front of you, um, it becomes even more awkward. So, bringing my business development background into that, I said, "There's got to be a way to help this scenario." Um, you know, I, I just I could see and sense that these people needed each other, but they didn't know how. Um, and you know, I think we're all wired a little different. I think I was drawn there because I do have this big heart, and I just had to find a way to get these people together. So what was happening in these towns? You ask, what's the difference between empathy and kindness and compassion? You know, I started looking at the programs that were out there um, to help communities heal. And a lot of schools and communities would bring in kindness programs. Now, kindness is critical. We all have to be kind. We, We need to. We must be kind. But most kindness programs out in the field, Sean, are random acts of kindness um, where people are tasked with just going and doing nice things for people. And and a lot of times it's random because it it says it's random. There is no connection being made. Um, I saw this play out in Sandy Hook when 67,000 teddy bears were sent to a community of 25,000 people. So what happens is a lot of times these random acts of kindness make someone feel like they're doing something great. But it doesn't result in a healing connection of any kind. It doesn't deepen a relationship. Um, So that was one side. So those random acts of kindness programs were not helping these communities when it came to actually knowing how to care for those people that were struggling. Um, And the second thing were were emotional programs, programs of empathy, as an example. Now, we all need to cultivate empathy. Again, it's a critical emotion, um, as is compassion. But these are emotions; they're not actions. So, what would happen is a lot of these people would, or the programs they teach, you know, perspective taking. What would you do in their shoes? How do you think you'd react? You would actually even do role playing sessions with them. But when it came to actually being face to face with someone, they weren't equipped. It was like a deer in the headlights. And you know, Harvard has this great program, making caring common. It's a great program, it's a program on empathy. But they will even conclude that there is an empathy action gap, that you can have empathy in your heart and you wanna help, but you actually don't, or probably don't know what to do, or it's awkward. So as we've developed out comfort, which is a skill, it's an action, it's a verb. If you look comfort up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the verb form says to bring strength and hope. It's actually an incredibly beautiful, powerful, resilient verb, it's just awesome, right? Comfort itself, the word, the Latin origins, our C-O-M means together with, fort is strength, right? So over the years, it's become this word that means a state of being or comfortable. It's actually the complete opposite of the verb form, which is a resilient action. So as we started to build out this resilient action, that's what we did. You are required to connect with someone. You, You can't go help and support someone without connecting with them, Right. So immediately as we started looking at this, you know, it started as simple as what are the dogs doing? The dogs are requiring this connection, right? They're bringing people together. Why can't we do that? What is it about a dog that can do something that humans can't? So let's just break it all down and let's figure out why is it awkward. So that's what we've done over the course of the last eight years as we've developed this out, um, developing out the awkward zone, which is why are we so awkward helping people. And it breaks down to 10 behavior, 20 behaviors that we can talk about later, but that's why I founded it. Um, It was a passion and a need and it's driven me every day since. um, And that's why I started it.
0: (laughs) Jen, I love that. Um, It's, it goes into, I think what even this podcast was actually founded on too, with actionable results. It's not just, Listing things of how to do things—it's enabling action. You know, it is—you know—going past—you know—being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I love it that you're you're saying—you know—develop out the awkward zone of—you know—what to say, what not to say, um, the emotions, and I—and you—you hit upon the head, especially with even interpersonal—you know—interactions being behind screens all the time. That we don't get a true sense of connectedness or read people's body language because that is i think that's like 70 or 80 percent of what people read into things and different things like that and just being there um and i could just automatically picture the whole the story of you bringing in a dog and the dog being very calm and people petting the dog and just talking to the dog but being around one another um where they, they that they're not forced to say anything because they don't know what to say and so I think a big thing, you know, that has stemmed around from this and I feel like it impacts, you know, different, different business functions, different companies is how does human connectedness impact marketing and customer experience? I mean, you're going into the deep. I mean, you're going into like one of the deep ends, especially with, you know, very tragic. But if we can pull that out a little bit of how can people act on a daily basis, especially what happened with COVID. And everything else. What can we do to have those small little actions that compound and make lasting effects for one another?
1: Mm. It's such a great question, and um, you know, the direction I want to answer that question in is starting with the line: "People don't care what you know until they know that you care." Right? That that to me is, I think, the most critical line ever. And you know, talking through these societal changes, you know, a little more. Not only have we had this advent of screen to screen. But what it what that has done to us is it's made us increasingly more self-absorbed, right? It, it's made us a lot more focusing on the content I want, the schedule I want, the friends I want, the connections I want, and going into these, these channels. Um, you're you're really a lot more focused on your own needs. Um couple that with The mental health world right now, which really focuses a lot on self care. And self care is great, right? Nothing wrong with self care. But the way we are humanly wired is for connection. We are humanly wired to need each other to talk through our struggles. And so what happens is through these societal changes of screens and a little more self reliance, um, we're all you know, basically being taught how to regulate our own emotions and how to work through our own struggles. Um, And if that's, if we don't, if we need more help, go see a professional. And what we found over the last eight years is that it's completely pulled the rug out of your social fiber network, your tribe of friends and family to support you. um, Because we're not focused on that anymore. So when we get to marketing to people, um, and social connectedness, social connectedness is basically saying, I see you and I care, right but so often we're when we're talking with each other now it's we're so self self focused because that's what we know. it is becoming more and more awkward to know how to reach out, how to make sure someone feels seen and heard and understood and um valued because we're so much more inward looking these days. So to attain social connectedness, we have to focus more outward. We have to focus more on putting our phones down, looking eye to eye with someone and and very mindfully saying, I'm going to focus on that person now and what I think and all my feelings go to the side. Like take it back to the dogs again. Like dog has a mind of a two to three year old, right? That's why they're such great connectors. They don't ever think about themselves. They, they, they have never lost their sense of trust. They've never lost their sense of adventure. Um, and they are just there with you um, through the good times and bad, and they show up and they're never too busy. So social connectedness is that. It is mindfully, very intentionally paying attention to the people around you and meeting their needs and not yours. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, um, I think over this last few years, I have a word that comes to mind is when you mentioned mindfully, but it's also the intentionality is that people are intentional. It's kind of like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, blast this to like 20,000 different people and get all this money and think I'm going to get all this money versus like, what if I just had 10 clients or what if I just had 10 people that I could really focus in on and really help them on a deeper level? And it's, it's the pendulum effect. Like we've always done this. It's, it comes in business. It comes in society. It comes in everything. And before we were so much in a quantity state and now we have moved over into a quality state. And sometimes that shift may happen, but I I love it that you are, has took a stance over the last eight years during this because the longevity of what you're trying to prove. And I feel like that's much more successful than someone trying to go where, you know, Trying to shift where other people are shifting. I mean, obviously, you you want to set, give great customer experiences and really listen to your customers, but you also have to plant your flag and say, "This is me. This is what I'm about." And I absolutely love that. And kind of going deeper into kind of the human connectedness. So, you know, with the world being so disconnected, and you and we've we've experienced this, we have seen this. You know, with digital and now COVID, with you know things that have happened with that. You know, it's only been Oh my gosh. Um year and then we add so like 19, 20 months, not even two years yet, like just below two years. So we it's basically um we're reaching the terrible twos if you want to call it with little kids. But you know, how how can people foster better human connectedness to deliver you know, better customer experiences, better experiences? You kind of mentioned being intentional and mindful. What are some actions that people can take to just little simple things during the day to make lasting impact?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And again, you know, why is COVID and, you know, all the different unrests we've dealt with, political unrest, social unrest, racial unrest, all of these things that have been piled on on top of COVID, um, what has that resulted in? Like, you know, the book I wrote, as you know, came out before COVID. Um, And so now you've had all these things on top of it. So we were already dealing with the social disconnection prior to all of this. Now what's happened is you put all of these things layered on the top is we have just bombarded people or the world has this, you know, circumstances have bombarded people with stress. Um, We are living in a world of severe burnout right now, severe um, emotional exhaustion, and it's something that people have to recognize that in order to get through this, you know, even Dr. Arthur Evans from the American Psychological Association, he will go back to say that making sure you have your tribe of people that care for your social connectedness is basically at the core of getting through this and our physical and our mental and our overall well-being. And so how, like you said, how do you form that social connectedness? And really, truly, it starts with, as we were talking about in the last question, it starts with making sure we see that person, that customer, that friend, that student, that coworker, that manager, that janitor, that Dunkin' Donuts lady giving you your coffee. Every single person you interact with right now, you can be 100% sure, is dealing with something every single one of us is. So how can you intentionally show them that you care? And the main thing that it is, is you, first of all, it just starts with looking in your eye, looking in the eye and how's today? What's going on? And little by little, the key to caring for people is, you know, if you look in the book, we have a picture of a marble, marbles, you know, care is a very long-term endeavor. Um, It is not a one and done thing. Um, The secret to connectedness is a lot of little actions. It is seeing each the people each day. What did I do when I went to Sandy Hook for five years? How did those people become such dear, close relationship and friends to me? I showed up. I showed up, I looked them in the eye, I gave them a hug, and I asked, how was today? That's it. And obviously, sometimes we would get together for occasions. Sometimes I might bring them their favorite coffee. Sometimes we would go to lunch. Sometimes we'd go for a longer walk. Um, but it was just being there and, and showing them that you're there and you care. And, and you ask them, how's today? Some days they just, oh, my gosh, it's horrible, and you spend a little more time talking. Or, you know, some other days it would just be thumbs up, I'm too busy, got to run. And that's the key. It's just simple seeing people and being in tune and mindful of what you might be able to do to make their day a little better that day.
0: Oh, that's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's a lot of principles. And I think it depends on, I think, people's experiences of what they've gone through. And I think you are providing um, a guide into the sense of how to be mindful of just little things, because I feel like, you know, a lot of people, they don't know what they don't know. Like, all of us do that. Like, we don't know what we don't know, but when someone, you know, teaches us, we start you know, resonating little things that we need to tweak. Like you see that in acting a lot. You see that in sports a lot. Um, But we don't see that as much in mental and emotional health that we need to do that more. That, you know, having that open space to being able to, you know, give grace to ourselves and, you know, being able to not be hard on ourselves or even, and would reflect on being, not being hard on other people. Mm-hmm. and 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 just being there for some people, so you know this part of the episode, and thank you for you know answering these you know the questions uh, wonderful answers
1: can I add one more thing to that too go ahead go ahead yeah, yeah, so the thing about social connectedness too is we all have barriers to it, right, like why is there this empathy action gap? We're finding that you know through all of our programming we do these assessments seventy five percent of people will say they can see someone struggling, right, only fifteen percent feel equipped to know what to say and do. So why is that? We all have natural barriers, right? So what we've been studying is, are the barriers kind of fall into two different categories? One is just your barriers to taking action, right? And what we find with that are there are two different groups of people in that. One are the people that do want to help, they don't just don't feel equipped. So if that's the case, we can work with them on those behaviors and make them more confident. There's another group of people there. There's another group of people that we'll call the deflectors. (laughs) The deflectors think this way. They think it's not my job to step in or someone else can do this better or I've got enough problems. I don't have time um, or I've tried to help them enough and I'm done with it. Right. All of these different behaviors will stop people from social connectedness and they can change and there's nothing wrong with any of them. A lot of them might just be due to stress. We've had a lot of people say, I would have never answered it that way before COVID. So social connectedness is like anything else. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's like a diet or an exercise program. You have to understand what you're doing wrong before you can do it right. And so those are the other things we dive into, like we said, with the awkward zone. So just want to make that clear because there's hope because a lot of people just go, I don't, it's hard for me. I don't get it. But yeah, anybody can be taught to break through the awkwardness of it.
0: I think we you answered it very well in the sense of what, about the share your story because that was the next section. But you you have brought in um, immersed very good brand um, kind of stories around inspiring comfort and with Sandy Hooks. So I'm just going to move on to the the next section really because it has been it has been amazing just that interwoven. So we don't have to break up the sections here. But this is more about you since um, you know I think the listeners want a little bit know more about you know why why do you do what you do. You've kind of hinted on it. But, you know, you know, what is, what makes Jen get up in the morning and say, this is the reason why I I love doing what, you know, this is, this is work to me.
1: Well, it's a great question. And I, I'm of the belief that we're all on this earth to do something, right? I just believe it. I don't think we're just these random people. And I think part of life is to figure out, like, my wiring is for what? And so in the beginning of the book, I said, you know, I like to, think we have three breadcrumb trails. Um, One is, how, how does your brain work, right? My brain has been wired for entrepreneurship from the day I started working. Every single job I've had started with a blank piece of paper. I'm always on a quest to make things better. That's unique for me. A lot of people aren't like that. So I believe that's my brain wiring. Then what is my heart wiring? My heart wiring is, I have this natural, just this, love of caring for people. I think it's come through just these crazy circumstances of having gone through different terrorist attacks and tornadoes and floods and earthquakes. And I've just had these crazy experiences where I've had to go through so many tragic events that my heart has gone out to help people. And the third, you take that then into the circumstances, which are these events. And so, you know, accumulating with Sandy Hook, and then I was running the Boston Marathon when the bomb went off, and all of these things came together to say, we have to do more to care for people. So I believe that if you look at how you are, you know, your heart trail, your brain trail, and your circumstances, it leads you to what you're meant to do in life. What, I mean, from this time that I've started comfort, it it, it consumes my thinking 24-7. It's all I've done. Like, I'm constantly figuring out how we can have more social connectedness. What does stop people? And I and I believe it's because of those things. And I love doing it. And it is my passion. Um outside of that, I have a family. I have three amazing girls um who are all either in college or just on their first jobs. I'm married to a great guy, I have a um named Dave and I have a beautiful golden retriever named Callie. Um, and so yeah i I believe that I am blessed with a, an amazing family um that supports the work, and that just keeps me um, even stronger in that work.
0: Well, Jen, thank you very much for sharing about inspiring comfort what What brought you on your journey with that um very inspiring no pun intended there um, and talking about the difference between what comfort is versus caring empathy and just talking about your experiences of going through everything and kind of really articulating very well on how people can help other people and being more connected and and being there for more people. And uh, obviously, um, to the listeners out there, if you want to know more, um, all the show with the show notes and things that are connected within uh, Jen's profile and this episode, everything will be in there. So you can take a look at Inspiring Comfort and also her book and her books. So Jen, Thank you so much for being on this episode.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thanks for what you're doing, elevating voices.
0: I do what I can. And to all the converged coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.